0: In 1979, Professor Randall Collins published a book entitled The Credential Society, in which he argued that public schools are social institutions that teach and reward middle class values of competition and achievement. Collins claimed that the spread of higher education in America had not increased upward social mobility, but had in fact stymied it. With the expansion of high school and then undergraduate education came a cycle of credential inflation where the production of credentials and job requirements kept steadily rising. And there were some other pesky consequences that accompanied this credential creep, such as grade inflation, rising educational costs, and misleading job promises made by for-profit schools. Today, in an era marked by the devaluation of high school diplomas, Concern regarding the value of expensive undergraduate degrees and the proliferation of new professional degrees like the MBA, Collins' premise, made more than 40 years ago, might actually be more on point than it was back in 1979. In this episode of Think Significantly, we're going to talk about credential creep, how it came to be, how it manifests itself, its far-reaching repercussions, and what, if anything, we can do about it. Let's thanks significantly. Hello everyone. My name is Melissa and always I am joined by my jaunty co-host, Pete.
1: <laughs> jaunty. I like that. I'm going to put that on my uh, I'm going to put that on my resume
0: put that on your LinkedIn. It's yeah. better than being a uh, jauntist. So
1: <laughs> yes, it is. I've heard such things. Yes. I've heard that is true.
0: At least you won't be able to go to HR and be like, they didn't hire me because my eyes are yellow. <laughs> yeah, that?
1: That, I can't tell you how many times that's happened.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I, know, I can't tell you how many people come to me in HR. <laughs> and I'm like, you still got to hire them. Yeah. His, his health benefits kick in in 30 days. That's yeah. right. That's right. Okay.
1: Okay, well, thank you for, uh, for, for the introduction. Uh, I'm happy to be here. It's always a pleasure to be recording with you. I'm happy to be joining all our significant others out there, thinking with us and listening to us. And I think it's best if we give a little background first before we jump into our, our, uh, our conversation uh, to explain that our, our discussion hinges on, on really two separate but related concepts. And the first one is credentialism which is the reduction of qualifications to status conferring pieces of paper.
0: That sounded very erudite. Status <laughs> conferring pieces of paper. Will can, you all take your tassel and move it to the... Yeah. I, can,
1: I can dumb it down if you want.
0: No, no, I will right now. It's okay. really the practice of relying on earned credentials when hiring staff or even assigning social status.
1: Right, it's, it's not being able to even apply to a job if you don't have a certain certificate. Even if you have the ability to perform in that role.
0: Yes, it's putting that formal educational credential above other ways of understanding human potential and ability. And it's really what is underlying credential creep or credential inflation.
1: Which is actually the second concept, the credential inflation, which is very much like regular inflation, but with credentials, right? Right.
0: Uh, yes, but gas is cheaper. With it. yes, exactly. <laughs> essentially yes.
1: <laughs> yes, a lot of a lot of people full of hot air. So yeah, a lot of a lot of free gas.
0: <laughs> so a good way to think about it actually comes from Collins himself, the the author of the book that I that I started off with in the intro, mm-hmm. and um, the way he frames it is he thinks of it as a credential vortex, Ooh. right? Which which such imagery here. So yeah. basically, you have a higher education system. Locked in this cycle of expanding access to degrees. So as more and more people can get degrees, what happens? It dilutes the value of those degrees in the employment market, sure. which what happens? Oh, drives like some of those degree holders back to campus for an even more advanced degree.
1: Right. Yeah. And conceivably, this could go on until lunch ladies need PhDs.
0: You You think I'm getting my PhD? For just for nothing, I want to be slinging pizza.
1: I want to be- <laughs> you wanna you want hey, meatloaf Wednesdays, man. That's where it's That's at.
0: That's right. I'm gonna put this hairnet to good use. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, I, That's right. I can see it now. So it, it it's also known as up credentialing, which is essentially what you're you're capturing when you when you explain it as the lunch ladies thinking PhDs, right? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. before an undergrad degree would have been enough to get you an entry-level job, but now like an entry-level job requires a master's degree. And before we get too much into our discussion, I just want to say that, you know, it looks like we're to, we're to blame employers, right? For requiring these inflated credentials, which which to some degree, ha ha, pun intended, right. pun not intended, <laughs> uh, which, you know, employers ought to be blamed, but I'm also like, if I can get somebody who has a master's degree Versus a bachelor's degree, wouldn't I mean? Can we really fault them? You know what I'm saying? Right. No, I mean, we can't. Not, right.
1: But... Well, sure, we're going to, but <laughs> but there's but there's right an argument to be made for if you can if you can do it, then why not do it?
2: Right. But I,
1: but I think your uh, even your example is a little bit inflated because you know you're talking about an undergrad degree getting an entry level job, but but did you know in the 1970s Three out of four jobs required a high school diploma or less. And in, in 2021, in contrast, two out of three jobs required some sort of post-secondary education.
0: So in our lifetime, basically, I needed to be like a middle school graduate and now I need to have a graduate degree to hold like the same job, potentially.
1: Potentially, yeah. No, that's absolutely right. That's
0: crazy. I believe it though. I believe it. You know, and what, what slays me is that it, it, when I'm reading these job postings, right, and they're asking for a degree, and I know that the skill set that that job needs is not taught in that mm-hmm. bachelor's degree program.
1: Sure,
0: boy, that chaps me. I'm not even going to lie; it really does. And, and what's crazy is that this shift that we're talking about right now is mm-hmm. is especially pronounced in positions that have historically been dominated by workers without a college degree. So, like, so like, what changed, right? Right, you know. It's- well, I, mean,
1: I, I right. I think it's, I think it's getting back to what you said. It's if I can get somebody with a degree to do this job for the same wage, essentially.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Why not? I mean, the, I think the, the rationale is the higher education r- results in a higher quality employee, which will, will result in a higher quality product for the company. But that's that's dubious at best. Right? You
0: say that, I wish this was almost like not just voice because I just rolled my eyes so hard. <laughs> I, almost, I almost lost a contact back in my brain.
1: <laughs> right, it's, well, I mean, that's, but that's the math I think that's being done here. And right. and we see like, you know, in your example, uh, employers are asking for, for bachelor's degrees, not only when that bachelor's degree didn't yield the skills that job needed, but in many cases, asking for the degree made that position harder to fill.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
1: and with our aging workforce, this isn't the direction that we need to be moving. It.
0: Right, exactly. So you think of it as like elevating it, but in my mind, the visual I get is they just drop the the limbo stick just to like a little lower, right? You know what right, I mean though? Right, yeah. right,
1: so less people can get in, right.
0: Yeah, exactly, that's exactly right. So So yeah, so like not only is the employer not getting what they need in a timely fashion, but but, you know, what also is happening here is that they're making a lot of those middle skill career pathways just obsolete. You know, mm-hmm. there there's almost no way to get into certain career fields these days, like like executive assistants. Right. I don't I don't want to be an executive assistant straight out of my graduate program in U.S. history and world art. You know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> right. No, I wouldn't want to either. I no. don't. Yeah, those those middle skilled jobs have been disappearing for decades now, mm-hmm. and and I know that that we're mainly talking about employers right now, mm-hmm. but we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the part that colleges and universities play in this.
0: Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Oh my. Oh my goodness. I I could. We could have done an episode just on this.
1: I yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So like higher education is basically like a credential cartel. It it really does. <laughs> Colleges oh have really an unprecedented monopolistic power in controlling credentials and job entry. Mm. They are really the ones holding those job opportunities in their little sweaty little palms for a large percentage of our workforce. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah.
1: Definitely. Yeah. The university definitely plays a role in controlling the rights of entrance to the job market. Mm-hmm. Right. And And as As efforts have been made over time to make that education available to the most people, we've seen the cost skyrocket, again, making higher education unattainable for some. Mm -hmm. Did you know since 1980, the cost of a college education has risen 169%? Now, you compare that with the roughly 9% median wage increase over that same span, and it isn't hard to realize that it's out of reach for many Americans.
0: Or it creates this crazy conundrum where like, in order to be an executive assistant, I have to have a master's degree. So I go get my master's degree, but then I can't afford to pay off my student loans because not, I'm an executive assistant. Right,
1: not making what an executive assistant makes, right?
0: Right, exactly. I, you know, this is this is really, you know, what Collins' whole promise was, I think that, uh, well, the way he frames it, actually, he, the way he phrases it rather, is uh-huh. is he says that. And this is way back when. That's what kills me is that it's so applicable to today. But like he was talking about it like many moons ago, like 40 years ago, mm-hmm. he was talking about that these spiral education requirements have transformed college campuses into toll booths on the road to middle class respectability. Toll uh, booths.
1: Yeah, I think toll booths is exactly the right metaphor to use there. I, mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're essentially just collecting fees to allow entry into the workforce. I mean, that's yeah. That's what they're doing. Because really, like you said, for a lot of jobs, the, the, the degree program doesn't teach you the skills you need to do the job.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think another reason that, that, that college education is desirable, you know, beyond getting that access, is that it provides a perceived socioeconomic, which, which actually means competitive advantage. And, and this isn't anything new. I mean, I think that predates even Professor Collins's 40-year-old book.
0: So, you, so you're hinging on it, it the perceived part there. Right, it, right. I, mm-hmm.
1: I think this is going right. to help me, right? I think that mm-hmm. getting this degree is going to make me a more attractive candidate. I think this certification is going to give me a leg up over the competition for this position.
0: Hmm. Right. But as we were talking about this uh, in preparation for this, right? We were talking about like, th- this. this even comes down to like, The fiber of our nation right this is what you were saying you had discovered in your in your preparation
1: yeah 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 right exactly so so let me give you a breakdown of the uh a quick breakdown of the history of higher education credentials right which is which is distinct from the underlying education itself okay so so the history of of higher education credentials is is the history of the elite trying to distinguish themselves Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right during the colonial era Very few students completed degrees or earned any credentials. Then, in the years leading up to the revolution, the bachelor's degree emerged as the accepted way for the merchant elite to bestow social status on their sons. Attempting to increase the prestige of one's occupation became the standard among working-class individuals trying to recover from the financial hardships of the time. And then unqualified individuals turned to professions such as medicine and law Which at the time had very low had very low barriers to entry.
0: Oh, the jokes I could make! Yeah, Yeah. oh my goodness. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if it's that applicable here, but you know the whole thing about people being called doctor, right? And they're like, Mm -hmm. unless you're a medical doctor, and I'm like, actually, it started off in academia, and then they bestowed doctor upon. Uh, medical purposes. medical folk, mm-hmm. right? to differentiate them from the guy selling his snake oil door to door. which don't underestimate that. A little behind each year, clear you're right up. anyway. yeah, good.
1: <laughs> for so, for a majority of our nation's history, it was unusual mm-hmm. for people to go seeking these these degrees and these credentials. I mean, up until World War II, the percentage of adults with bachelor's degree stayed below five percent. But as of twenty twenty one, we're at 37.9% of adults having a bachelor's degree.
0: And I, I don't know that we've gotten that much smarter in the process. I hate to say,
1: I, I don't think that we're 37.9% smarter. No.
0: So, so, you know, I think it's interesting that you brought up the revolution with the, with the tri-corner hat, because I definitely think that part of credential creep is this effort to set oneself apart. Like, you know, here's where I'm going. You said Mm -hmm. it's to set the elite apart, you know, from the non elites or whatever, but being self-reliant is such a big part of our culture as Americans. Like everybody is expected to be self-reliant, you know, as Horatio Alger tells, you know, these bootstraps aren't going to pull themselves up.
1: You also have to consider how capitalism factors into this drive to edge others out
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: in the tyranny of merit, which was published in 2020. Michael Sandel, an American philosopher, argues that meritocratic capitalism created a permanent state of competition within society, which corrodes solidarity and the notion of the common good. And I'm using air quotes around common good. Mm -hmm. This system sustains an order of winners and losers, which breeds hubris and self-congratulation among the former and chronically low self-worth among the latter.
0: Meritocratic capitalism, I get that on the back of a sweatshirt, right? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'm a, like, whoa. Yeah.
1: It's, a, it's uh, the name of my my college band.
0: Yeah, is it?
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's what I'm majoring in. Uh, <laughs> and then I want to be a construction worker. Right, uh, of course. So, yeah, right. I saw an ad for it. So I was like, I've always wanted to swing a hammer. I should probably major in meritocratic capitalism. That's right. Um, I you know I don't know that I have anything that astute to add in here, but um, mm-hmm. I was simply going to say that basically people are likely to grow dissatisfied with like what they have and who they are, and I was going to bring in what we what always seems to sneak its way into our episodes. I was going to talk about social media and uh-huh. how this sort of goes hand in glove with our achievements, right? Yeah. Because with Media, you're always facing that pressure to construct that perfect public image, right? Yes. I, well, my point is, you know, in the absence of like these intrinsic feelings of worth, which we are deeply missing in today's society, right. we tend to measure our value against external measures like popularity, professional achievement, and oh, academic record. Absolutely. And and when we fall short of those expectations. You know, we don't feel so good. We 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 just don't. Like certain things that creep in. We feel bad at best, like shame, humiliation at worst.
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah, there's no no shortage of that floating around for sure. And that that actually makes me think of of two things. And and one is something that I came across while doing my prep work for this episode. And and it's about how credential creep now includes social media statistics. Like like the number of followers you have is actually worth something.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, no, this is the thing. Yes, 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 yes. No. And we're not just talking about influencers, folks. We're talking about in the business world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was this article that said one of the newest, most important credentials is the number of Twitter followers you have. Unbelievable. Tens of thousands of followers is considered just as important in some fields as a degree.
1: And and it's, I mean, for comparison, it would be like like the hairdresser that gets hired because they brought their own book of clients with them, right? They brought their their own following. They brought a a customer base into their new uh their new uh place of employment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's it. That's that's a great parallel. That's a great parallel. Yes, exactly. So what was a you said you had two thoughts?
1: Oh, yeah. The uh the other thing is something else that we discussed before at, uh outside of recording and that's that's the pursuit of of achievement, of of perfection.
0: Oh, yes. Always needing more.
1: Right. Right. That that sense, I mean, we know, we've discussed before that perfection is is unattainable, right? And the, the sensation of even approaching it or or achieving something that gets you closer to what you think perfection is quickly fades and requires constant refreshing.
0: Like that mouse hitting that bar, that's, more dopamine, more that's dopamine, right. dopamine, right? That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So, you know, that interplay between perfectionism and, and credential seeking, it really comes as no surprise. Um so there is there's an American psychologist Randy Frost in 1990 he developed 35 questions designed to measure perfectionism. It is it is he actually titled it a multidimensional perfectionism scale. <laughs> and he distinguishes between three very broad but distinct types of perfectionism. Okay. And the first type is self-oriented perfectionism uh-huh. and, and yes so this is this refrain that is bonging around in all of our heads that it just insists that we must do better, that we should do better, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it breeds this like obligation to become this idealized version of ourselves, which is just simply exhausting.
1: Right. That's the, the classic definition of perfectionism, right? It's, right. It's, it's I need to be the best I can be. And that and it makes sense. I mean, look at the cover of any self-help book anywhere. You're always trying to be er happier, fitter, richer. Right?
0: Yeah. Er. Yeah. Er. Yeah. Est. Right. Fittest. Happiest. Yeah, right. 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 Right, yeah. no, right. right. So the second type is is socially prescribed perfectionism, which mm-hmm. leaves us trying to live up to the expectation of others, and and you know this often manifests itself in fantasies of like criticism. It's this internal monologue that tells us what we should be and what we should do like what you know what others expect out of us so one is self and then one is what I think Pete thinks I should be
1: right Um, and those
0: two I think are really applicable to to this idea about how we're always trying for more to include credentials
1: sure but and there's I know there's a third one and I know you're not going to leave us hanging
0: yeah there's a third one I, I wasn't able necessarily to make the deepest connection on this one to the topic, but
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, I'll share it. Um, other oriented perfectionism, you know, that's what turns that voice outwards as we demand that those around us also live up to our impossible ideals. Okay. And it's it's most obnoxious when wielded it as like an instrument of power. It's like, it's like the parent who asks his child why she got an A minus in that one class, right? Uh-huh. Like, why is it an A minus? Mm-hmm or the boss who has no compassion for his employee who just can't power through quote unquote, the flu, right. Or his jauntest. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I would rather have a jauntest employee, I think, than a, than a fluish one.
0: After living through the pandemic. Yes. Right. Before remember before how we used to come to work sick and everyone's like, that's awesome. Yeah. And now we're like, freaking jack down the hall what the hell man yeah. oh i know
1: i know nobody gives you any and you're like i'm sick they're like stay home but hey i but i i think you you said you 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 didn't have a strong connection to that to that other centered that's what it was called right other centered um, other, oriented. other oriented yes yeah i think i think i have a a way to tie that in and okay. and that makes me think of the quasi recent fascination with the, with the tiger mom movement and the mm-hmm. effect that that has on children.
0: I like how you think it's quasi recent. I think it depends on your culture. Right. I think, Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think we're, I think folks outside of that cultural community are now learning about it and being like, either they're really like just shocked and like horrified or they're like, Hey, <laughs> all about that. Right. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah.
0: Amy Chua and about being a very heavily involved parent to get the best out of your kids to like squeeze every ounce of like life out of them.
1: Right, right. And demand that they perform up to your standards, which yeah. I mean, may not be perfect, but it's certainly higher than average.
2: Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And
1: and when you said that someone who is focused on the perfection of those around them, this is exactly what came to mind. Right. Mm-hmm. and And there was a there was a study I came across uh, that, that it was a five-year study that was conducted with 263 seven-year-old children in Singapore, where, like you said, this is probably a more common cultural parenting style than, than what we're used to here. That study showed that this kind of intrusive parenting resulted in nearly 60% of the children developing maladaptive social perfectionist tendencies, along with an increased level of self-critical beliefs and language by the time they were
0: 11. So you're saying that the other-centered perfectionism is relevant here because it helps to create more perfectionists, which is going to perpetuate this pursuit of higher and higher credentialing.
1: Precisely. Those other-centered people are instilling in the people around them a feeling that perfection is the only way to success. Mm -hmm. And if it's okay, I'd like to actually take a step back and readdress something that we mentioned earlier. About folks trying to get an edge, because I think it ties in with the with the increasing prevalence of maladaptive perfectionism.
0: Well, I you know me, I love taking steps back to talk about maladaptive perfectionism. <laughs> I mean, if I'm known for one thing, it's awesome. it's that. So I know, yeah. I know.
1: Hardly a, hardly a conversation goes by where we don't like take a time out and be like, "Hey, there's some maladaptive perfectionism I want to squeeze in here." <laughs>
0: It's my hashtag. That store. <laughs> yeah, it's within me my new Instagram account. Yeah, it's yeah maladaptive right. perfectionism. That could be yes, your college band ahead. name. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yes.
1: So, so what I want to point out is that is that we we the royal we human beings, we don't like to be average. Like we really, really, really do not like to be average.
0: <laughs> we don't like to be average. Yeah. No. Right. No, I would agree with you, Just despite like most psychological traits being normally distributed, right? Right, you right. Know, I'm That's, of the bell curve, right? But yeah. no, you're right.
1: That's exactly my point, right? Mm-hmm. 65% of people are going to have average intelligence, average personality, average memory, average happiness, average leadership, average creativity. But most people are going to rate themselves as better than average on almost any of those traits, which I mean, it's a statistical impossibility.
0: What is an average personality, by the way? <laughs>
1: uh, I think I think a I think a uh, a lack of maladaptive anything would probably be an average personality.
0: Reminds me of the last uh, get together I had, right? And I was like, oh, that guy—he's yeah. got an average personality. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: He's so basic. Ugh. <laughs> oh, I mean, honestly, that's. Expert. Uh, how much of a put down is it to call someone basic, which is average? That you're just average? Yeah.
0: Well, telling people they're average is offensive. It is. It's seen as an insult. No, if you yeah. if I submit your average, you'd be highly offended. Absolutely. Right? I think people prefer to be unique, but like in a in a bad way than to be like normal in a good way, right? Which is you'd unique. rather be like some Bonnie and Clyde sort of character than just to be normal in a healthy sort of way.
1: So this, this need to be special, right? This need to, to stand out from the crowd is absolutely on the rise, particularly here in the US,
2: mm-hmm. right?
1: And in the 50s, only 12% of college students described themselves as an important person, again, with the air quotes. And by the 1980s, the figure had risen to 80%. And, and this may be a stretch on my part, But I think this has an influence on people constantly pursuing new credentials.
0: Hmm, That's interesting. I think I could see it going both ways, right? Like influencing each other from both sides, the new Mm -hmm. credentials sort of define it. But you know what's interesting? So you're saying in the 50s, 12% of college students describe this as an important person. But now you're looking at the 80s where you have that many more people in college. Mm -hmm. You're talking about just an N a much bigger n, right? You have a right. lot, it's not the the 80 to the 12% isn't as like shock and awe as if you think about how many people were in college in the 50s versus how many people were in the 80s.
1: Right. You had right. a
0: lot more people.
1: Yes, there are many, many, many more people in college in the 80s than there ever were in the 50s.
0: Right. And and I mean, what better way to differentiate yourself than what we were talking about before than that post-nominal set of letters on my LinkedIn profile. Right. I mean- but to your point, you know, as soon as you said like 50s, 12%, 80s, 80%, you right. know, I those are the, those are those, those are like the exact same numbers that are used in, in, in like a pretty well-known study about the rise of like narcissism. It's, it's known as a, like a narcissism epidemic in oh, wow. modern Western societies. Yes. Oh, do not, do not get even me started on content analysis that are based on, or that review like speaking of song lyrics right and then mm-hmm. recently published books uh pronouns i and me are used more frequently than we and us now uh-huh. um the the phrase i am the greatest has increased exponentially between like 1960 and 2008 like oh, wow. like this is in our language yes uh-huh. this is this is a thing yes oh wow
1: and 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 what's ludicrous about people wanting to be the you know i said er, earlier but what, what what's ludicrous about them wanting to be the est the best the greatest the strongest the tallest is that there are sincere advantages to being and even feeling average
0: oh yeah absolutely i say you know i really don't want to be on top of the totem pole because the only place you can go is down right like don't put me on the pedestal right because right it's tough being up there right and and you want to talk about being able to avoid most physical and psychological illnesses Be average, (laughs) be be average, and you shall, you know, protect thyself.
1: Yes, and and be comfortable, or want to be average. Like that's Mm -hmm.
0: the
1: right. But but even desirable characteristics, you know, you've got uh, ambition, sociability, uh, confidence, conscientiousness. They're all problematic when they're exasperated or taken to the extreme. Mm -hmm. Right, ambition turns into greed, sociability into exhibitionistic attention seeking confidence into arrogance conscientiousness turns into obsessive compulsive behavior
0: right it's that that too much of a good thing effect which is a thing it's Mm that it's not just a phrase right that's an actual effect out there right um yeah it 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 suggests that the very high scores on these traits that you mentioned which who doesn't love exhibitionistic attention seeking that will be the name of my band (laughs) yeah um Yeah. yeah but high scores (laughs) on these traits and like other what we think of as desirable characteristics are as inconvenient and counterproductive as very low scores you truly are better off just being average unless you're trying to get a job of course
2: (laughs)
1: right right that's the whole crux of the discussion here right but and it also helps that i mean since you probably are average in most of those qualities anyway feeling average reduces your cognitive dissonance and will translate into higher self-awareness, which is far better than the much more common alternative overconfident delusion, which is another great college band name.
0: Well, when you put it like that, I mean, <laughs> you're, I'm like, would, excuse me, would you like to be average <laughs> or overconfident delusional? <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> Oh gosh, um, I if, guess average. I don't yeah, know. Uh,
1: it's, uh, given those yeah. choices, I guess I'll go that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, sure. and,
1: and to be fair, there's an, mm-hmm. there's an evolutionary explanation for the prevalence of, of these enhanced self views. And, and I think it's related to this topic of credential creep, right? We're We're talking about how it is increasingly difficult to judge other people's talents with precision. Hence why we resort to a collection of letters after our names. Mm -hmm. Right. But but overconfidence, just like just like a bunch of credentialed letters. Can enable people to fool others into thinking that they are competent.
0: It also fools us into thinking that we are competent. I will let you know. Yeah,
1: sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, we don't lie to anybody as much as we lie to ourselves.
0: Yeah. So I think we got to shift here. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's start talking about what we can do about this. Credential creep, because right okay. now I feel like we're in a dim spot and I mm-hmm. want to just shed some light on this.
2: Sure. So
0: for this part of the discussion, I thought about um, we, we've talked about this before. This is the. Um, so in the early 2000s, this is Peter Thiel. He wrote a critique of college as a as a bubble in the classic sense. Mm-hmm. And then he announces his Thiel Fellowship Program. So you get a hundred thousand dollar grants to college students who drop out of college. To pursue an entrepreneurial project.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely familiar with this, and, I, and I'm kind of intrigued to see where you're going to go with it, right? The the Thiel Fellows were like the the kid version of the Young Presidents Organization. They were mm-hmm. they were lauded as a league of extraordinary, courageous, brilliant individuals right. who should be a shining light for the rest of society, uh, and they're you know wearing their college dropout sweaters everywhere.
0: Oh, yeah. The sweatshirts that read drop out on them instead, uh-huh. of, instead of your college, like your college here. Right. It was like drop out. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if you're wondering if I see the irony in this, I do, because, you know, Theo's attempt to disrupt this culture of credential gathering turned out to become one of the most elite credentials a young person could achieve. They're like, I'm a Theo fellow.
1: Yeah. Like Right. 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 So so the new elite credential is actually an anti credential.
0: Right, we've hit the apex. We're now on the downside of the upside down U. Right.
1: The, the the parabola.
0: If only I taught math, Pete. Yes, the parabola.
1: <laughs> I think <laughs> the I think, upside I think, down you. Yeah, I think the listeners are going to follow us if we say parabola. I think they're going to stay with us on that one.
0: <laughs> well, at least we're not asking you to describe it. You're like, right? Yeah, know. right. No.
1: Yeah, but are we really on the on the downside of the parabola? I, like, if all we're doing is saying that. That now the credential is to be a dropout, uh, a disruptor, an innovator sans initials. Wouldn't this rose smell just as sweet if it was called something else?
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, you have a point. It's still like, it's still like, it's something to aspire to, interestingly. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, I I feel like it's just more of the same in a different, on a different path, is all. And mm-hmm. and and sooner or later, and hopefully sooner, uh, corporate America will begin to ask the right questions relating to the funding of credential inflation.
0: I, I think we're I think we're I think we're seeing this now. I really do. Um. Uh. For for a variety of reasons. Uh. One, uh, we are experiencing a very tight job market, and mm-hmm. beggars cannot be choosers, sure. right? You, you know, like you can keep the credential requirements and pay college level wages, or you can. Or you can drop out any unnecessary credential requirements and actually fill your jobs. (laughs) These are your choices at this point.
1: Right. And, and, And how hard is it for employers to change their hiring and management practices and focus on job skills rather than continuing to prioritize college degrees? I mean, stop relying on a bachelor's degree as a broad recruitment filter that may or may not correspond to the specific capabilities needed to do the job you're hiring for.
0: Right. Absolutely. So it's like, you know, the employer is going to have to look at their their screening processes. And when I say employer, I'm talking to anybody out there who hires people. Absolutely. I'm not talking like IBM as an entity. I'm talking about looking at yourself even and being like, what do I need to fill this job? Like what That's is required right. here? But you know, a lot of companies are actually coming around to this. This is what I was alluding to before. You got, mm-hmm. you got a lot of tech companies, Dell, Apple, Google, they've stopped requiring college degrees for employment. Elon Musk just said you didn't need a degree to work at Tesla. You can make a magical flying automatic car. And you don't need a degree.
1: Well, <laughs> given given the record of Teslas, I'm not sure that that's the uh, the endorsement. Maybe we want to we push. <clears throat> but, as, but as, it,
0: your, as your car is not starting, you're like,
1: oh. must, from here must on them, out, I'm only hiring right. people
0: with advanced degrees. That's right. Yeah.
1: That's right. But that makes so much sense, especially in that sector, in the tech sector. Where where the, where the mm-hmm. skills you need to be really good at what you do, don't need to be learned in college. Probably, or better not learned in college.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, you know, I've heard of people becoming really brilliant coders after using YouTube videos to teach themselves, and and that's something that is that is constantly evolving. Is that that skill set?
0: I don't know about learning on YouTube about the coding, <laughs> but I have <laughs> sure fixed my fridge, yeah. <laughs> which made me feel more on top of the world, honestly. Than uh, yeah. yeah. Then uh, potentially uh, getting a job, but yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah. YouTube's yeah. A, just got everything. <laughs> yeah. Everything you need is there. Trust me.
0: Everything. Don't even go to college anymore. Maybe no. YouTube should come out with its own university. Yeah. Right? Well,
1: but that, that goes against the whole, like, YouTube videos aren't research argument that I like to make. So.
0: Oh, then we there's, can't have yeah. that. Then. <laughs> there's gotta
1: be, a, there's gotta be a happy medium in there somewhere. YouTube good for practical applications, go. bad for philosophy. <laughs>
0: um so so basically i think what we're saying is that um the the real challenge we face is that if everyone is hiring for the ability to do a job rather than the for the potential to do it well like how does anyone get that initial experience i still keep going back to this like h- how do you get on the highway
1: mm-hmm. if
0: you're not allowed to merge
1: <laughs> right 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 if the toll booths keeping you out and and if there are fields that require unnecessary occupational licensing requirements those should be eliminated, right? right? The focus should be on competency, not on the credentials that are on a piece of paper. A college degree is not a substitute for capability.
0: So, one way uh, of seeing if someone has the skills is is to test them, and you could do that by like providing, I don't know, an internship, right?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great way to do. it. That's a great way to see if somebody's got the the skills to to match the job that they're that they're uh, seeking. Right. And, and and that's on this trend that we've seen over the last few decades, where employers want to hire people that are ready to step in and work day one, instead of hiring someone and investing in their training to make them competent and efficient in their job.
0: Right. There is a return on investment concern for businesses definitely, that make them fearful, understandably, mm-hmm. uh, of investing time and money into training someone only to have them leave to work somewhere else. But but there's ways that you can do that, right? You sure. can have agreement with somebody. I mean, you know.
1: Yeah. But but the alternative is that you don't invest in them and they leave anyway.
0: Right. Or or, or I got a worse one for you. You don't invest in their development and then they stay.
1: Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. And then we you're left. We about yeah. one
0: of the other episodes, right? Uh-huh. They're, mm-hmm. It was like some four square matrix. It's, kind of, it's like they're, they're not really good at their job and they're like low skill and they're a problem.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there are a million ways that companies can show that they value the development of their current employees over hiring someone with the right credentials, right? One of these barriers that has always vexed me was not allowing employees to take a promotion into a supervisor role without a bachelor's degree. Yeah. These people are a known commodity. Right. If you're looking at someone and considering promoting them into those supervisor positions, that means they've got the skills they need to do the job. What difference does it make whether or not they've got the diploma?
0: Understood. Exactly. And then, oh, were you going to say something? Go ahead. I I was
1: just going to say, I understand if you want to have that for an external candidate, uh, okay, I get it. But it doesn't make sense if you're promoting from within. That's all.
0: And I think in in the amount of lag time it takes to get someone on, if you have a a group of employees already at work who are already making the ship sail Mm -hmm. without that new hire, Mm -hmm. you don't need a new hire. You need to be promoting from within. So they've clearly been able to do the job this entire time. So that's a fantastic
1: point. Right. Is that position even needed?
0: Mm -hmm. Right. I'm going to say, do you need that credential, that elevated credential for it? Right. Exactly. And you know what kills me is when I do this sort of look at companies that demand elevated uh, credentials, but they don't offer tuition reimbursement. They don't offer right. professional yes. education, no just-in-time training, no mm-hmm. industry conference attendance as allowed, right? That's what you need to be doing. Yeah. Bring your own, build your bench.
1: Right. And almost anywhere you look, all of the advice available on retaining employees emphasizes investing in their development and showing them they have room to grow within the company.
0: Knocking out those unnecessary qualifications and focusing on developing internal talent would be a paradigm shift. And given the state of the market and all these drawbacks of credential creep that we've outlined here, like growing your talent is like probably one of the most novel things a company could do.
1: That's, you're absolutely right. Uh, stop chasing unicorns and develop the people that are already making you successful. And, you know, with that little bit of advice, I think it's safe for us to wrap up this discussion. Uh, How about, would you like to send us out?
0: But first I want to quote from TLC. They said, (laughs) don't go chasing waterfalls Stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to, man.
1: Yeah. I should, I should have gone with waterfalls instead of unicorns. Now I'm like on
0: fire. I like got to go do something. I got to go like pull our job announcements down and say, no, we don't want that requirement anymore. That's right. Right. I want to see what, what is out there. I want to see people who are hungry and on fire. That's right. Not literally. That's right. No,
1: no, no. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, Pete and I would love to continue this discussion about credential creep on social media. How often have you run into a job that you knew that you could do, that you had the experience to do, but you didn't meet the entry requirements for it because they were just souped up?
1: Have you pursued advanced credentialing that was underwhelming? Have you been part of a hiring process that disqualified otherwise attractive candidates because they didn't have the exact certification? Have you ever used a credential to make a decision between two otherwise equally attractive candidates? Reach out and let us know your thoughts.
0: Ooh, that last one, look in the mirror at yourself and be like, have you done this yourself? At
2: yeah. tu, Brute? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: All right, well, you can find us at the Twitter and on the Instagram at thinksigpod and of course on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Think Significantly.
1: If you enjoyed our conversation, please rate and review us on your podcast platform and invite your curious friends to listen. Melissa and I will be back next week to discuss another way they get you.
0: And until then, we encourage everyone think significantly about the world around you.